You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, host, back with another episode up in, well, Guthrie, America. There's no other way to say it. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, places in Oklahoma. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, Tiffany Bora to the podcast, uh, who is the tipsy artist. This yes. is awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me <laughs> in your space. It's uh, extremely colorful. It's exactly what I expected. And uh, I have, yeah, I've never done a paint class. Oh, but we'll my, have to change that. We'll have to change that for sure. <laughs> my, the only, like, I like to draw as a kid a lot, um, mm-hmm. mostly cars. Uh, and my art teacher, there comes a certain point in, in school when you get to a certain age, you have to select it's kind of like when you're 15, 16, you have to select like certain classes. And I didn't select art as one of my classes. And I think it broke her heart because she was like, you haven't, yes. you know, you're good at this. You're naturally good. And I was like, I just don't really care that much. That's probably why I was good at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't really picked up a pen or a pencil like in an artistic way since the age of, yeah, 14, 15. Oh, so, that's sad. sad. We'll, but we'll, I, we need to we'll change that. that. So I'll have to come <laughs> yes. back and take one of your classes. Yes. Um, but... Uh, as, as people know who listen to the podcast, the general flow of things is we'll find out who you are, what you do, why you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, uh, set some context. Were you born and raised in the great place of Guthrie, Oklahoma? I was not. Okay. So I was born in Huntington Beach, California. And then my mean and cruel parents swept me away to Midland, Texas, which if you characterize it as the armpit of the world. If of you, all the places to go I'm, from Huntington Beach, you went to Midland, Texas. It's very sad. Yeah. Where I was, you know, escaping tumbleweeds coming at me, you know, high speeds during the day. Uh, so raised in the West Texas area, went to Texas Tech University, and then... Um, Spent some time in the Dallas area for a while. And then I, I guess I'm trying to think when we actually came to Oklahoma was in, hmm, 
gosh, I want to say about 2008. So, um, yeah, 2008. So we've been here a while. Yeah. Seen a lot of change. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, yeah, a lot of changes. Loved it because I, when I was in the Dallas area, that's where I, you know, where I came from. Of course, I was raised a small town girl mm-hmm. and then went to Dallas. And I always felt so, um, I guess, just not known, like a number, very hard. It was just, you know, kind of a very disconnected feeling. Mm-hmm. And always wanting, you know, always seeking community. And then when I came to Oklahoma, I was amazed at how, uh, first of all, how beautiful it was. I felt like it was the best kept secret in the world. I was like, okay, here are all the trees. This is what I've been missing since California. And then uh, beyond that, too, it was just amazing how I was able to connect with all of these really um, wonderful people in leadership and creative people and um, of course, I I dove in right away. I was in charge of logistics for Oklahoma Creativity Project when they did their first big uh, show here in Oklahoma. So of course that that got me into the deep end really quick. But I just I just absolutely loved it. I felt like I had an instant sense of community. Yeah. When I got here. Yeah. How old were you when they moved you from California to Midland? I want to say I was about five years okay. old. So a lot of your life, you've grown up kind of in, in the, the West in Texas the West area, Texas area yes. which explains the cowboy hat then. Right. right. Cowgirl hat, yes. sorry. This, yeah. yeah. And uh, we would go back to California every year to visit all of our family, sure. which was like complete torture. And then <laughs> to come back. This is where you used to live. Yeah. This is yes. what 70 degrees feels like yes. every day. That's Not right. Not 110. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah, that's kind of cruel to take you back home. It <laughs> is. I mean, I love it. Yeah. It, was, it was so great. I have such fond memories of it. You know, I got to uh, sleep at nights on my grandmother's lawn. It was a clover lawn and go pick fruit off the tree in the courtyard. Yeah. And I mean, it was so magical, you know, and just walk down to the beach. And yeah. But yeah, and then you come back to Midland where you can't drink the water and horny toes are crawling in your house and in your bed. <laughs> Yeah, I've driven through Midland many times. I haven't stopped many. I haven't stopped. I've stopped very few times. I've driven through. Um, yes. I actually have a friend who lives in Odessa, and they're basically the same place. It, they? So, that's true. Um, yeah, God, it's uh, that drive down from Oklahoma City. There's just like that stretch of highway that's just terrible. Like the road is terrible. Mm-hmm. I just don't miss that one at all. One, Me um, either. But <laughs> so where then? Um, so you, you mentioned. Um, Midland, then you go to Texas mm-hmm. Tech, and then on to Dallas. Um, is art a focus from a very young age? It is. Okay. So, and I have a snazzy little picture. <laughs> so, okay. This was actually, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this was me in, I think, roughly fourth grade. So, I started, I got into some pageants. I didn't do pageants for very long, um, but... It was good for me to get some confidence and because I was actually very shy and had a hard time being in front of people. So I did some pageants and, th- and some things like that. I didn't have a traditional talent like most people could sing or dance. So I'd already been doing a lot of uh, painting uh, from a very early age. And my mom could tell I had a little bit, you know, some talent, some natural talent. So she had me in some art lessons. So I did that as my talent in pageants. So I, you know, mic'd up like Britney Spears and wore the little beret and uh, had my little painting here. And 
I wrote some incredibly cheesy poetry to go with it, and I will not recite any of that that. to you, (laughs) but it was fun. It got me through it, and uh, so that's, it was kind of an interesting twist in how I, you know, started doing the art in in a way that was it was educational, but it was, um, you know, also, oh, just oh, a little bit more lively, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. than a typical mm-hmm. setting. And then I, I was very committed to that, too. And I remember being in college, and I did major in art. I, my major is actually painting. My minor is drawing. And um, I remember being very uh, disappointed in the setting, mm-hmm. For the art school, it was, strangely enough, the the walls were all blank and it was very sterile. It felt like I was in a crazy, dark, kind of insane asylum hospital that you would see in crazy movies. I mean, it was just a really, for lack of a better word, just ugly and um, disenchanting. And I just remember thinking, gosh, if I have an art school, mine's going to be crazy fun and beautiful and and lively and expressive. And, you know, I just, I wanted color and fun and I wanted us to have a good time and listen to great music and enjoy ourselves. And so that's kind of, you know, that was more of what, you know, created, you know, the idea to have fun with it. Yeah. Well, and a lot of artists, artists in general, just like to be in their space and they paint and they express themselves through their art, right? Mm-hmm. But you have found an energy and, and, and tapped into something that you express yourself by effectively performing to a crowd and helping mm-hmm. that crowd paint. Mm-hmm. And that's something totally different too, right? Like it's mixing, like I said, your pageant side, kind of whatever it is that made you want to do pageants and, and be comfortable standing mm-hmm. in front of people as a young kid. right. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that takes a lot to do, right? Because no one likes public speaking. It, yeah, it definitely uh, took some time. I, you know, I, the pageants helped a little bit. And I wasn't a huge fan of the pageant industry, if you will. Um, but I do think it was a good learning experience for me to get into it and to just to be in front of people. And it made me walk out in front of people and talk in front of people and that kind of thing. And then I did do a public speaking class in college and that helped as well. And then what really helped was, well, really just getting into it and doing it here. But then my husband had a show on PBS many years ago and that really forced me to constantly be in front of the camera and just be myself. And so that was just hours and hours in front of the camera and having to do it. And I remember asking somebody who was a little bit more seasoned than me at the time, you know, what do you do? And they just said, just keep on doing it. Just keep on. And I had some horrible moments in the beginning. <laughs> so, like, we did a live news thing um, in Oklahoma. I don't remember which station it was, and that's okay. I don't want to really, like, bring it back you up for anybody to yeah. <laughs> But I froze. I just froze. And thank goodness my husband was there to rescue me. And he had already been in the public eye a little bit longer than me. And he was a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. So it was all good. But yeah, I, I, I was so thankful. And I think I just, (laughs) just looked like that deer cotton headlights, just like, (laughs) I was worthless the rest of the show. (laughs) 
(laughs) Yeah, Um, it was just like one of those things you see in the movies where somebody just freezes. I mean, it's just exactly like that. Just terrible. (laughs) Well, but you're right though. Like, and I noticed it with the podcast too. Like, I don't go back and listen to my early ones, but the reps make it so you're just comfortable now, right? Yeah. You know, it's just repetition, and and you get more. You just get better at it, and you the the fear is always there. The awkwardness in your head, the butterflies, whatever it is, it's always there. It's never going to go away. Yeah. Um, but it's just how you deal with it. And you, once you get going, you're like, oh, yeah, this is fine. This is normal. I'm just kind of, you know, right. doing my thing on yes. stage or to, you know, to 10 people or to 1,000 people. It doesn't matter. Yes. Right? Because it's yeah. the same process. Mm-hmm. So when you're true. still on stage mic'd up somewhere, right? Like it's sometimes it might be more nerve-wracking if you've only got five people staring at you rather than 50 people staring at yeah, you. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I'm, I'm much more, I don't know what it is, the adrenaline or something, but I do... I do better in a larger crowd than I do if it's a really small crowd. So, especially if I have, I mean, well, anymore, I'm kind of just comfortable, whatever, because mm-hmm. I just do it so much Definitely. that it just feels like same as Definitely. walking to the bathroom or right. whatever. Yeah, 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 it's routine, isn't it? And you just, yeah, it's, it's so routine that I've done yeah. it for so many years for so long. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel it that much a difference, but I have to admit that when I do get in front of a very large crowd, I, the energy of that big crowd feeds me, and I, I think I tend to be better and have better energy levels and just a little bit more on point. So, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned your husband, Joe. Mm-hmm. How'd you guys it's, meet? So we actually did meet at the Oklahoma Creativity Project. Okay. He was one of the selected. Uh, gosh, it was kind of like I'm, I'm losing my words here. It is a not a guest of honor, but they had selected just twelve people, I think, that um, were honored. And so, like Bart Connors was one of them, has been an Olympic uh, athlete, the you know, gold medalist, and there were others. Those, I mean, I really remember him. But because I was in charge of logistics, then I had to make sure that everything that he needed got taken care of. So he had his own big booth with all of his artwork displayed and everything because his show was on making art, creating art, and that kind of thing. So um, I was recently divorced, and I found him on MySpace, like, does anybody even know what that is anymore? I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> all my Just old friends. Just about. Yeah, all the uh, old people will know. Um, so, yeah, I looked him up on MySpace, and I thought he was pretty hot, and so I, um, I was so cheesy. I sent him, you know, like, just I really reached out and it was kind of aggressive and so I just really we kind of joke about it to this day that you know I really made sure that he was very well taken care of and so uh, but yeah it was just kind of love at first sight when we met we just really clicked and Mm. connected in such a um, unique way and I had been of course you know doing our art was just very I guess similar. Mm-hmm. We had the same color palette and you know similar background and different things, and so um, we just—I mean, we met and wasn't very much longer after that. We got married and yeah. we've just been together ever since. That's awesome. So well, good, you found yeah. your person, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. So, so tell me, t- take me a little bit, kind of from then. We'll go back a little bit from. Mm-hmm. Being an art major, graduating Texas Tech, and then you think, I'm going to move to Dallas because Dallas is a big city and that's where I need to go. 
uh, do you think that you need to go there uh, to get a job in art or you like are you focused on a, a job in art or are you thinking something else ended up at that time I was doing more of just making art mm. and just selling art in a very traditional way I had been a school teacher uh, a kindergarten teacher but I had not really like combined the two yeah. um, so because I was I don't know if I just said this but I was a kindergarten teacher so I wasn't really just specifically art but I ended up creating my own line of art at that time it was much more like three-dimensional and I was doing hand carved um, like in metal uh, hand tooled mm-hmm. metal crosses big giant crosses on layers of silk and shadow boxes and a lot of custom work for churches and then I got it I got into the uh, World Trade Center in Dallas had a little showroom there and that took off pretty quickly, and I was in about 150 stores in the Midwest, wow. so it kept me very busy. And then I had um, two little kidlets mm-hmm. running around, and so I just worked, I, I loved it because I just worked from my home, and yeah. and then I could just put baby gates up and kind of work and <laughs> keep them corralled, and you know just. Yeah. ship out, you know, orders to all the stores and stuff. So I did that for a long time. And then it then it started to evolve a little bit. Well, I got I got copied pretty quickly. And I remember at the time my mentor said, "You're going to have to figure out how to do this in resin because it's just it's just a matter of time before they're going to take your what at the time was very unique and could not be replicated, and they're gonna they're gonna replicate it. So if you don't figure out how to do that, somebody else is going to. And so she started discussing the idea of going to Mexico and all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> Just paint something else. I'm taking my toddlers and yeah. to Mexico. <laughs> so I just, you know, I just watched it happen and uh, saw, you know, all my designs and met the, met the guy that he said, yeah, I saw your stuff at the showroom and yeah, we took pictures and yeah. said, I'm just letting you know, like, that's how it works, you know? And I said, well, thank you for being so honest. Right. And yeah, so that was just, you know, a big lesson, but I, you know, it's just that thing where I just said, you know, when the time is right, I'm going to get back into it my own way mm-hmm. and make a difference. And, um, and sure enough, you know, that's happened. But yeah. I was actually really, um, my hands were so sore all the time. I had big, I always had cuts, mm-hmm. you know, from working with sharp metal. And and I felt like if I continued on for too long, I would have had serious arthritis at a young age. So I was actually really glad to get into the painting part. And I wanted something anyway that was like really quick turnover. And um, so I started actually doing more when my kids were little, it started to evolve then where I started actually just kind of getting together with all the other moms and we would have like crafting cocktails and, you know. So, and then that kind of gradually evolved into the tipsy artist thing. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I, I, I look back and I think I, I have some, you know, education that I did, a lot of those courses that I did in college. And I remember one of my professors, he really wanted me to actually major in education. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, and I said, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why at the time um, I didn't just full on major in it specifically. And um, 
he said, you're going to end up being a teacher. You can't run from this. And then sure enough, like I was right back in it, you know, having to do that as a kindergarten teacher. And then now, even years, years later, Mm -hmm. having, you know, I do it now with teaching art, you know, so I definitely needed that, um, narrow focus I think mm-hmm. that's you know that's more my passion and my my zone yeah. you know so yeah it, it, the one thing I've learned from doing this is it takes people sometimes it takes people a very long time to figure out what they are put on this earth to do yes right and sometimes people just know at the age of seven they're like I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life right and yeah. those are the fortunate ones yes because I'm are. still trying to figure it out as well <laughs> uh, yes you know but it's it's great that you found you know found something and, and all of the things that you've done leading up to you know finding the tipsy artists and doing what you do it all adds in right like mm-hmm. the kindergarten teacher said the teaching that like all of it makes sense and you know all the failures help you even you know help you as well so they're all lessons somewhere where I'm interested in where before we dive into the tipsy mm-hmm. artist stuff, where does the just passion, love, drive of like wanting to teach come from? Gosh, um, I have an extreme fascination with. I've always been very service oriented, and but I also have an extreme fascination with the learning part of it. So, for example. My husband is a very talented artist, but he is very impatient with the person who is learning. He does not want to stop what he is doing and take the time to explain it to them. And he gets a little grumpy and um, typical artist, actually. It's, <laughs> it's the temperamental artist. And uh, so, but I, on the other hand, have always been... When, when I engage with a student and they are struggling with something, I'm just completely fascinated by it. And I want to have a conversation about it. So what is your, I want to understand what their block is and how we can overcome it and the method. And I just eat it up. And so I, it's the, the patience with that process is more of a natural hunger to learn how to overcome and make it very uh, pleasurable too that's another part of it because initially I was going to actually major in art therapy and they didn't have any programs in my area and so I ended up just doing art but art therapy was more of my true focus when I first started and then I ended up coming back to that too but not necessarily in the sense of just breaking it down to assess people and their mental health or in in just that way, even though I do feel like it is very helpful for mental health. um, But I love the idea of the learning process being very pleasurable. So on one hand, I'm, I'm certainly not just a teacher who teaches for the sake of to create something that um, I'm trying to think what I'm trying to say. So there's a guy next door who's a great sculptor, and he's pretty strict, and he gets a little frustrated by people who take shortcuts to learn, for example. He is very, uh, if you were to take a class from him, it'd be very different than me. So he is very strict with, you are going to be disciplined, and you're going to take all these necessary steps to learn 
and they're going to be hard and you're not even necessarily going to have a good time. And I even remember those steps yeah. when I was in college. Like we had to draw many things that he, they would turn everything upside down and make you draw so that it would teach you how to see. And while I really value those lessons, and I think they are really important for people who really do need to master the craft, for those who are coming in for something quick and fast, and they want it to be really fun, and they are trying to have a release, and they want to just let go and, and have a good time, the goals have to shift a little bit. So there, while I do maintain a certain level of instruction, there's always constant step-by-step. I have a lot of cheating methods in place to help people have pleasure during the process. And yeah. if things get too difficult, then it's no fun and people get frustrated and that's not, that's not part of what we're trying to do here in two to three hours. Mm -hmm. So certainly if people keep coming back again and again and again, then they can you know, have more of a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me or they can even take a private lesson. It can be a lot different. But in terms of the two to three hour class where they come in, we're going to have templates that you trace and we're going to have sharpies that you can cheat with for line work and i mean we're just we have yeah. all these little fun tools it's more about the experience than yes. the process of becoming a sculptor yes. and artist because i'm yeah. sure he the guy next door is probably mad at people who cut corners because they probably don't respect the craft exactly right whereas yes. you're a totally different vibe it's like <laughs> it, for, you know for the people coming in here it's not so much about the painting they're walking away with it's about having an absolute blast right right yes or I hope they feel that way. I, think, I feel like they should have that attitude more than they sometimes right. do. But yes, that's true. Yeah, they don't come in here and think they're Van Gogh in 30 right. minutes. That's right. correct. <laughs> yes. But they can look like him through tracing and little yes. tricks, right? That's, that's and, true. And hang something that they're proud of in their office, front right. room, living room, whatever it is, rather than going out spending, you know, going to Target and spending $200 right. on, a, on a painting that just is in you know a thousand homes or two that's, whatever it is right yes. like it's that's and then the memory of every time they look at that yes that's so, correct yeah it's um, it can go well at least we had a good time yeah exactly <laughs> um, at the very least at the very least yeah and if not we drank great wine and yes. had a good time with our friends right yes, or with colleagues or you know whoever it is that you guys sit next to like it's right it's just a great way to like, you know, going back to kind of art therapy and, and a great way to just release and forget mm -hmm. about the rest of the world and your phone and the family mm -hmm. and kids or whatever's going on at the moment. Like, mm -hmm. just, you got a painting in front of you or you got a canvas in front of you. Mm -hmm. Like, zone out. Yeah. Have some fun. Yeah. Uh, how long are your classes? So they are uh, two, well, yeah, 2.5 to three hours, okay. typically. That's, yeah. that's the normal class. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of depends on the artist and how fast they go and if they do bring in we I generally recommend 12 and up but it does seem that if they are younger I don't know what it is and that it, you know it just seems like the younger ones tend to I mean they just whip through like sometimes they'll be done in 45 minutes so and then you're babysitting yeah <laughs> so <laughs> I always tell them well it's funny we um depending on the child if they are if they can, sometimes they'll just sit and do their, their phone or whatever afterwards. And I, I kind of really hate to see that. Uh, so we usually have backup. I have backup artistic mm -hmm. crafts and things on the side yeah. here in this studio so that, um, you know, that boredom will not be tolerated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. <laughs> we will continue to be creative. You will have a paintbrush in front <laughs> yeah. of you. Yeah. I have, I have other things for them to do. So yeah. yeah, even if I have to bring in another canvas, like we're going to get them busy and keep on creating. So, yeah. yeah. So just circling back a little bit to when you said kind of like the, the way the tipsy artist was born, you know, you kind of naturally came back around to it with friends and then you, you know, said you ended up doing it with a bunch of people. Um, what time of when is what time is that? And then also, how do you feel that you have unlocked something and that you can give it everything you have? Obviously, you've got the full support of Joe to do this. Um, yes. So how you know take us through that process as well of like, wow, I'm going to start a new business and mm -hmm. this is I'm going to give it everything I have and I feel like I found my calling now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it really happened uh, after uh, Joe and I got together, which would have been like about 2008 going forward because I really got into the. Um, the DIY movement, you know, if you will, that's actually when it started to become so explosive online. And so that, that helped a lot. And then I, his, he had so many strengths that really complemented mine where I was certainly a talented painter, for example. Um, but when I, when I first started doing my classes, I had some tears in the beginning, I mean, just people were, I can't do my Santa eyes right, or whatever. I mean, just that was, I, I say Santa eyes because that was the first crying episode I had. <laughs> so, and I really thought I had done a great job of making it easy. I made him smiling. So I, I said, oh, you just have to do parentheses, parentheses. And it just didn't really matter how I talked her through it. She just struggled and struggled and couldn't quite, you know, uh, manifest the goal. And so, you know what, I, I, and I kept, in, you know, encountering, not necessarily with tears every time, but I kept encountering how it was so challenging to almost do a drawing lesson and then a painting lesson. And then people are just kind of worn out too. So you have to fit it all into that time frame. So I said, you know, what? I'm going to start making templates um, because if we can just have one really nice iconic shape to where no matter what else happens, at least somebody says, I don't know what's going on here, but I know it's a cowboy boot, you know, <laughs> or yeah. something. Right. Uh, at least you've got that one strong shape where they can draw around it. And um, there's just a lot that can go right or wrong, but they're still going to have a great experience and still be able to look back and have at least one recognizable shape. So I started out, you know, cutting out all my own shapes to begin with, just hand doing it. And then he's very talented with Photoshop. So um, he really escalated the, that process of the templates. I mean, he just made it crazy amazing. So like you could have every tiny little shape to do all kinds of detail in the artwork. And those are not very easy to do. It's it takes a, a special person to be able to you know, drop out the negative versus positive and make that work to where it is still very easy to trace. So he, you know, he really complimented me in that way. And then he's just, he was so talented with the marketing and the advertising and um, the creation of logos and things like that. So we just really made a, a great team. He taught me a lot. He used to be the creative director for like, uh, Laurel Birch and um, Precious Moments. I mean, some big companies he really worked for. So he had a lot of knowledge with all of that. So basically, I could just go crazy with my 
dreams and big ideas, and he just really made everything come to life, Mm -hmm. you know, with systems, organized, you know, systems in place. So, as a matter of fact, in the very beginning, I mean, he handmade all of my easels, and I mean, because we were your typical artist, we were broke. (laughs) So we did not have a penny to our name almost. And uh, so it was just kind of crazy in the beginning. So we just, you know, we just dove in and made it happen with, uh, you know, just all of those skills coming together. So what year was that? um, I want to say 2009 around there. So that's when we first started to do everything and um and then we just you know kept going and then it really took off when it went when it went just crazy explosive growth was 2012 that's a, the year i really remember because that's when facebook decided to make advertising affordable for everybody yeah and it was a game changer it was huge because until that time, it was only Deep Pockets that could play the game, yeah. you know, with magazine ads and things like that. So, you know, you could take out a little ad for $5, yeah. you know, and just kind of watch it just do this crazy explosive growth. And then, you know, as our pockets mm-hmm. became deeper and deeper with just more and more sales, and we just put every penny right back into the business, mm-hmm. you know. And then, um, and then it just... It just went yeah. crazy nuts. Like we had our, we are the world record holder for the largest painting class in the world. We had a thousand six at once in Woodward, and we outsold Duck Dynasty. The lady told me that she was like, "You need to be proud." Like you, <laughs> so yeah. So that was really crazy cool. But then that, as you know, we sold. We were able to sell that class for about two to three months. So as they purchased and I was able to just run out and buy supplies, you know, mm-hmm. so it was just, and I remember those were such fun problems to have at the time. Like I didn't have enough, um, they wouldn't let me spend more on my credit. Like with the, the, yeah. I had money in my bank and they said, well, you're, you're, you can't spend more than $2,000 a you're day. Yeah. And I said, you don't understand. Yeah. I have to spend, I have to buy like $10,000 worth of whatever at that time. It right. was just like a crazy thing. I, I was having to spend so much money on canvas and paint. And, and it was like a big rush of the business just exploding all at once. Like that class just was yeah. crazy. What was that class? Um, it was actually a, we were painting a cross. Okay. Which I thought... Of course, because I've been doing crosses my whole life, you know, like I I just thought, yeah, it's just, you know, like (laughs) do the whole, you know, Um, but yeah, so I thought that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just uh, this wonderful experience. We were all painting the same thing. Um, I do long for those days again. We don't ever get to paint all the same thing anymore. My ladies are, well, there's a few men. I say a lot of ladies and a few smart men that go to my classes. So. But it is mostly ladies. But yeah, they um, they like options mm-hmm. now. So when I go out and do a class, they like to have about you know four or five different paintings to choose okay. from. And and so I've had to really um, at my game too. So yeah. I have to teach four or five different paintings all at once. 
Yeah, so, that one of the questions I was going to ask mm-hmm. too. Uh, that was, you know, how do you keep it, you know, relevant, fun, and just stay evolving too? And it sounds like you just said you you, you go mm-hmm. from just painting one thing to multiple things, but then you have to grow as well. I do, I do. I um, and I, I actually grew a lot during the pandemic. I mean, I, I had a lot of growth through this entire journey. But I think up until the pandemic, I was doing what was typically, and when actually through the pandemic, I did um, what, I, what I always called coloring book painting, where I kept it extremely simple. And that was really the only thing. I, I did do complex work in the beginning, and it would never, well, I would show it, and it would never sell. And so I would see it in the comments, that looks hard, I don't, you know, and it just, there was no sales. So I had to back off of my typical approach and simplify everything to just really kind of what would appear crude to most, just black outlines and flat, solid color within a shape. And especially when people didn't understand the process and they didn't know there was a template that was going to be at the class, there wasn't the trust, they would they would have to see it that simple in order to make them believe that they could actually do it. So I did do that style for a really long time, uh, just that very simple style. And then during the pandemic, I had a chance to just get back into my own personal artwork again. And I felt like I was going back and actually brushing up and honing my own skills and painting with some of, you know, the God-given talent that I actually kind of suppressed for a long time and not had an opportunity to play with for a long time. So I'd just been so busy, I had to just stick to yeah. what I had to do to sell. So I had a, a beautiful opportunity to come back and create my own work again. And then, um, so I've been gradually introducing that since that time, slowly, and for the most part, you know, I'll sell it as just my own personal artwork again, just like I would have done like back right. in the old days. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing that again. Since we have to diversify, there's so much diversification that has to happen, you know, in order to, you can't just, can't just teach. I mean, I have to teach and then I have to sell my art and then I have to have online classes and then I have to have painting kits and then I have to have a B&B business. And then I, <laughs> so I have a lot of different things going on. Yeah. Um, but, um, but what's been interesting is as my students have been with me over all these years, um, they are starting to take, um, more challenging risks with me in the classroom setting now too. So I've been gradually introducing like palette knife painting to them. So it helps me too, so that we don't all get stagnant. Yeah. You know, we can learn new things. So, uh, we've been... Just a lot of it is trends. I mean, everybody has to identify trends. That's the main reason or the main way that we keep it fresh. There's just that simple, like right now that the Highland cow is the cash cow, you know? Um, So that's something I see one around here somewhere. (laughs) It's funny you say that. My parents have one in their house in Wales. Like they have, I went home one one year for Christmas. I was like, that's new. And it's just like, you know, like a rainbow of colors, basically, and a cow. Like, right. Sure. They are yeah. very popular right now. Um, yes. And I, I, we love it when there's trends. And everybody who works in this world with design and decor, we love to see trends yeah. because then it gives us something 
new to create with. So yeah, for sure. Um, cows, that's the big thing right now. So I just try to, we had gnomes for a while. That was kind of funny. (laughs) I wasn't really expecting that. I was like, Oh, gnomes. Okay. You know, I tried to do the mushrooms. My kids were like, my kids are in their young twenties. So they're like, mom, you should paint mushrooms. And so I tried, but that didn't go over so well, probably because my demographic's a little bit older. <laughs> so like mushrooms, tipsy, what are you talking about? <laughs> like a mushroom. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, we may have to let some of my ladies catch up a little right. bit. They have to get caught up to speed with the new trends and stuff. So I mean, back to that, though, that that with the fact that you have done this for so long now, but you have a loyal fan base and you can Mm -hmm. see them grow, right? And you build a relationship with those ladies that come back and and they're learning and they're evolving. It's not, you know, it's not just them coming in with their mates, having a drink of wine and painting Mm -hmm. something, right? Like you're really helping them progress too. Yes. It's it's a real hobby for them rather than just like a once a year with the girls at work Mm -hmm. where you're going to go and drink wine and paint, you know? Yeah, definitely. Which is really nice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, a lot a lot of people that come back and constantly do it over and over and over again, and I can definitely see them progress and grow and try new things. And then I do have um, one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. Um, well, I say that on one hand, it's super awesome. On the other hand, it's really sad. Um, but I, there's one lady in particular who she, this is the very sad part, she lost her son, her very young son, in a motorcycle accident. And she just, you know, was overcome with grief and depression and just, you know, couldn't keep her head up. And so she started coming to my classes and um, she said, I just, it's changed my life. And she said, I, and the way she described it was so interesting. She said, I just feel normal again. And so I thought that was, I've never felt so much appreciation for the state of normal but for her, it was just, she said, I don't, I just don't feel anything. You know, I just feel like I'm in the moment and I just, you know, feel like I'm enjoying myself in that moment and the pleasure of just painting in that moment. So, and she said, it's the only time when I'm not thinking and, and, that, and in her case, which would bring her to a state of sadness, you know, so now she's obsessed with creativity you know so and then I've I talked to people who run um, homes with like adolescents that are struggling with mental health issues and things and you know they have told me that there's some real psychology behind this there's a lot of I guess they say chaos in the brain and actually like in a map of brain you can see quadrants where chaos resides and they say if you bring it you, the minute you start doing a creative process, it brings it to an area of the brain where I guess it's more logical and you have to, you're forced to be in that present moment just doing that task. And so it calms everybody down so they just get to this place of calm. So um, it's been really fascinating to see people like come into the experience in that way and just be healed and, you know, just have a, you know, not just, you know, a great time and a fun time with the girlfriends or whatever, but also just have some yeah. healing. and Yeah, it's, it's a deeper know. meaning to what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, those stories, when you hear those, you're like, that's what I do. That is why I do what I do, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, cool. It's great to give 30 people an amazing painting to go home with, right? Right. Awesome. Had a great experience. That's, yeah. but, but, you know, it, there's those special moments that, like, 
you know, because there, I'm sure there comes a point where that becomes routine for you, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I have to change it up because I am losing my mind a little bit, right? Like right. I've got to change it up. And then someone comes in and tells you that story and you're like, oh no, I'm, yes. doing, just, I'm doing the right thing here. Yes. It's really good. Because I think just as human beings, we're always looking for the new shiny thing or something to do new, or we need feel like we need to raise our mm-hmm. game because we're looking at Instagram or social media and, you know, everyone's doing better than we are. We, they, it looks like they are anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, key, like, brings you back to the moment when someone tells you a story mm-hmm. like that and, and you see them, you know, get, come back and like I said, get addicted to being creative. Right. You know, it's yeah. so much fun to do that. Yeah, that's true. So, where does, um, where does the name come from for you? I should have asked that earlier. Oh no, that's good. Um, well, so in the beginning, um, I just, it was actually pretty strategic. I have a mm-hmm. marketing background too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, you know, a whole nother part of my resume, but actually was director of some marketing PR for some different companies. Mm-hmm. So I, um, we just sat around the dinner table and broke bread and yeah. came up with ideas. And we just came up with, okay, what's a, you know, drunk.com is probably not great. <laughs> Liability issues there. <laughs> yeah. But Tipsy, you know, that's, uh, you know, Tipsy artists as opposed to drunkartist.com. I mean, you know, we were just throwing out all kinds of stuff. And so we just, we fell in love with it because um, it was just fun and yeah. meant moderation and um, also, you don't really want something that specifically says alcohol, because in the world of advertising, like on Facebook, for example, it can just shut down an ad yeah. or, you know, set it into, it just gets blocked and stuff like that, you know, so you don't even really want the word wine, wine in yeah. there. So, um, so, yeah, it was just kind of a really fun, clever way to represent what we do yeah. and um, in a fun way that just kind of says what it is we do, yeah. you know? That's awesome. Uh, yeah. When, when a little bit ago you said um, that Joe was there to kind of just listen to you dream big and let mm-hmm. you dream big and facilitate and he would, you know, help make a lot of things and, and you were able to just dream big and, and write your goals down and, and do mm-hmm. that. What were some of those big dreams and how have we ticked all the boxes for, uh, that you were dreaming about at that moment? So, like, this classroom that I'm in, for one thing, is just a big... He made everything in here. Yeah. So he, he painted everything. He painted out the art. He makes all the furniture. Um, when did you move in here? 2017. Okay. So he... So you've been doing it for a while then, before you yeah, got a spot. Yeah. And, and I'm more of a thumbtack, fishing wire kind of a guy. Yeah. <laughs> staple gun. I mean, I'm just so, it's so, I've seen those funny little Instagram videos where it's like, watch a woman hang a painting and she's all, you know, you know, (laughs) and just, just, it's just ridiculous, you know, just grabbing like some crude instrument from the kitchen to like tack and attack, you know, it's just like, okay, no, you know, he's, he's like hardcore with like very, strict with his implementation of craft and how he builds everything. So he gave me a really strong foundation in terms of like everything that he builds to make everything happen. And then um, when we did our systems on the road too, he was very instrumental in that as well. So he's just, he's very type A, super organized, kind of reigns all my crazy in. And uh, so he'll actually do my checklist forms and um, make them concise and legible and not 
It's just, I've learned a lot from him because I know when I did mine, it was an Excel spreadsheet that was so tiny. It was like this long, just mountains of text, you know, just so much, just so hard on the eyes. And then, you know, he, he just said, this is ridiculous. How can anybody work with this? And so he, you know, he created these beautiful forms that people could read and had little tiny cute boxes by each side because he's got that patience and organization to like make that form happen, for example, or... You know, like just systems on the road where we used to have way too much stuff and it was super heavy and crazy and um, he just would come in and would actually build carts to hold systems and things. Because, you know, so much of our life is just going out on the road. With, it's like we're doing like a, like what a concert, like yeah. a musician would do. You yeah. have to have those systems in place and it's... the People just don't understand all the stuff that goes into that behind the scenes. And he's just, there's just so much that he's done that just makes it very streamlined and makes sure that, you know, every, and I am pretty organized. Well, to my family, I'm very organized. To him, I'm just, I'm a mess. <laughs> so, so with the dreams then to do it, take it on the road and have a road, like the road show type we're going on to good new conventions. We're going to do shows and then, you know, get it to. Well, you know, this like funny. You just want to travel. You want that, to base. Um, that was almost one of those dreams that sort of revealed itself to okay. me. I, it's funny how you have visions. I, I remember, you know, cause I'm really into, you know, like manifesting and having a dream and journaling and I'm into all that stuff. But what was funny was all I saw in my head I could see myself dancing and painting and being in front of a giant crowd. That's all I could really see. And, and at the time, it's funny, I was um, so silly, but I think I was, you know, partying a lot with midlife crisis at the time. So I was just like, am I going to be in a nightclub painting? I mean, you know, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> it just really hadn't all come together. And then when I was finally, like, in that moment where I'm looking out at all these, you know, like a thousand ladies, you know, and I'm, and I do have my music on and I'm dancing and I'm painting, but I'm just like, this is so much better than what I had ever imagined. But I didn't really set out thinking that exact thing, but it ended up being like, God blessed me more than I ever imagined. You know, like that was just so much cooler, you know? So I think as it just, um, I mean, we definitely started out, but I had no idea it could get that big. I had no, I mean, I didn't know that was possible. I mean, until all those sales came in yeah. and we just filled the place up, like, you know, to capacity. I didn't, I didn't really know. So, and then it just kept happening and it still happens. I mean, we don't do a thousand anymore. We still average, oh, about 200, okay. you know, 150 to 200 you know, so, which is crazy. I didn't think it was going to come back after the pandemic. Yeah. I thought people would be scared to come back. Um, that was a big shock to me, too. I was kind of ready to just constantly do painting kits from here on and just do really small classes. And, I mean, that's what I was prepared for. And then when the, everybody was so cooped up for so long, and then two things happened. The gas prices went down. They all happened almost at the same time. The gas prices went down substantially, and then CDC all of a sudden just 
obliterated all the regulations. <laughs> they just like life's back to normal disappeared. now. Disappeared. Yeah. So then everybody just kind of went nuts yeah. and said, oh my gosh, we can't wait to get out again. So we, I kind of just tiptoed back out there again and, you know, contacted some of my old venues and said, hey, you want to give it a go? Like, we'll just see what happens, you know? Yeah. And the first class I needed was like a little over 200, you know, and I was just like, this I'm is back. lovely. I'm back. I'm back. I felt like Sally Fields, yeah. like, you love me. You really love me. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, looking back, if, you, if someone had told you you're going to set a world record in Woodward, Oklahoma for painting with a thousand women, it would have been like, you are drunk. Like, yeah, you, yeah, I, just, yeah, I had no idea. Because the... The typical way it was always done was small, intimate painting yeah. classes. And like 20, 25 people. Right. Yeah. 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 And then we actually started, we were over in another building over here and we, we started selling out every single class with 50. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then we moved into a bigger building and we started selling out for a hundred. And then we started traveling and getting um, casinos and the casinos loved it. Because, well, if you're familiar with, with how they, they just want, how can we get people to in the door? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, they, it's like they, they're giving they like free it, ice cream. Yes, and they offer it as whatever. a service for people to get in the door. Right. Or a couple, or the wife's yeah. going to go paint, the husband's going to go gamble, whatever yes. it is. Like, it's yeah. just another, you know, it's like a spa date, right? It's yes. that equivalent of like, okay, you know, the girls go to a show and the husband, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like that's... And that's for you, that's probably best too, because they, they pay you directly, right? Rather than, I assume that how well, so, or do they sell like individual spots as well? Yeah, so basically what we do is we do like a venue partner program. Gotcha. And so they just let me come into the space. Okay. And then I just take all the, serv- all the um, class registrations to my website. Yeah. And then they get all the food, drinks. Which is where they really and, make their yeah, money. Yeah, and right? gambling. Well, and gambling, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of food and drink, too. Like, people probably don't think about, you know, you talk about all the, the product of painting. It's mm-hmm. a lot of food and drink as well. Oh, yeah. But that many people. Like, that's, you talk about logistics, and, I mean, you know, not many people want to host 200, 300, 400, 1,000 people with food and drink, and let alone put painting product and stuff in front of them as well like it's a huge deal yeah the right venue it's a really good fit for us like we do really well casinos love it um hotels usually love it if they have a bar on site because they're dead during the week and their bar is just staffed anyway and they're kind of doing this and so they're going to be open anyway so they might as well just have a lot of people come in and so yeah it's it's for the right venue it's a really good mutual win-win there yeah Finishing up, okay. uh, let's talk about this amazing town we're in. Uh, when did I guess you first walk through the red bricks? Like, when did you first walk over the red bricks and see the town of Guthrie? You know, that was actually in my early 20s. Okay. So, my mom actually moved to Oklahoma first before I did. She was more of the pioneer there. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember. Granny had one, I think, was a restaurant back then. If you're really an old timer, you'll know. Uh, Granny had one. Is still he's it's Ben Coffin. He's a dear friend of mine. He, now he just does catering. He's out on a farm, so he's kind of shifted gears a little bit. But back then they had um, big restaurant. It was in fact just a couple of doors down, and the shops was just lively. It was Victorian Walk, and so that was my first time. And then I think I came back. Um, again, another weekend, 
And I just remember walking through and just being so enchanted with the city and seeing all the old buildings. And I've always had this dream of living in a historic loft ever since I was very young, early 20s for sure. I was doing all those scrapbooks and I would make my little visions for what I wanted in life. And it was always a historic loft. I just loved it. I just kind of always knew I was going to be in some place really old and charming yeah. like that. And then... Um, we moved out here, it was, I think it was 2012, so it was almost a simultaneous, um, maybe 2011, um, when the big growth happened. So, yeah, I was actually uh, directing a gallery here in town, and then I could, you know, uh, bring in art shows, and then I could also do my classes in there, and it just kind of started to yeah. take off like crazy. So... So you've been living in Guthrie almost over oh, just over ten years. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that that kind of stuck out the st earlier on when what you talked about was that uh, you know you, you said community in mm -hmm. Oklahoma you felt like was you know much more of a community than the bigger cities that you're in Dallas and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Guthrie, I think, is just the epitome of that too, right? Like it's you know you you think about. Hetty, we talked earlier. Right. Like we know, both know Hetty, and like he is the most community-driven person is. I know. <laughs> he is. Yeah, it's such a cool place. There are lots of characters here, mm -hmm. and I, I really love that. It almost feels theme parkish sometimes, because I will walk around like this, mm -hmm. and, you know, just... and. Sometimes I'm even more wild, you know, I'll have like a much more, you know, full on cowgirl regalia on and just kind of crazy. But and then there's another guy that I think he has, bless his heart, he has passed away, but he used to wear a top hat and he would whistle everywhere he went with a cane. And he was always just walking around downtown Guthrie. And so we just have all these really fun characters. And of course, if you do know Hetty, you know, he's a, yeah. he's a character. He is a character. <laughs> he's still wearing red socks. Yeah, he's got his red socks. And he's just, you know, he's such a big personality. He's always so joyful. Mm -hmm. It's like Santa Claus. <laughs> he is like Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, That's brilliant. He is. Uh, so... so um, Christmas coming up, mm -hmm. uh, you have some big stuff coming up over Christmas. That's kind of busy period for you. It is very busy. Okay. What are you excited about this Christmas? So my cash cows, I am, <laughs> I'm going to have more ways than one. Um, yeah, yeah. In more ways than one, I'm going to have a, a Santa Highland cow for sure. And we'll be doing just anything and everything. We'll be doing Santa gnomes and barns and lots of you know, the farm stuff is still really popular, but we'll be doing classes here almost every weekend. And then I'll be traveling around uh, to uh, Woodward and Norman and Shawnee for sure. And Enid and some of those different areas. Yeah. So lots of fundraisers. We do fundraisers. We'll do corporate parties. We'll do just about anything. And I'll probably be working just about every day. Yeah. <laughs> And people, if there's someone listening that, that just wants to do that or see your stuff, they can go to the website, right? That's the yes. best place to go. Tipsyartist.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, I'll put the link to that in the description as well mm -hmm. as like the Instagram page because you do a very good job of posting Instagram content. Oh, um, thank you. It's, uh, it's a joy to see people who take Instagram seriously and really use it for their business. And you definitely do. Oh, well, so thank you. I, it's I good try. to see that. <laughs> um, Tiffany, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing some stories. Thank you for inviting me in your wonderful space. I need to, uh, I need to schedule a class and bring my yes, wife Yes, you do. We'll make sure, so, I'll give you some gift certificates. I appreciate yeah. that. We'll have to do that. Um, <laughs> I will not paint a cow. I'll paint something else. 
Yes, we uh, have other options. <laughs> other options. <laughs> um, but yeah, for people listening, thank you so much. And we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma and without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them, do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.